I've been asked a number of times by different listeners how I actually create the show. What's the equipment that I use? Uh, what do I? What kind of microphone do I use? Things like that. And so today I decided in honor of episode 200, I'll share with you how I create the show and some of the lessons that I've learned. And I hope this will be of use to many of you who have told me that you're planning on creating your own shows. So today I'm going to help you Get the shortcut through your educational process. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host, and I have been your host for the last 200 episodes, and so today, like I said, maybe I'll share with you some of the stuff that I wish I had known. <laughs> I think I've made just about every mistake that could possibly be made uh, over the last 200 episodes, but I'm still here, still cranking away. I've learned a lot, and today, hopefully, you can learn something. On today's show, I uh, don't plan to share any financial planning specific information for you. So uh, if you have no interest at all in creating a podcast or no interest at all in you know, knowing how I do it, then feel free just to skip and uh, doesn't bother me a bit. And we'll be back to financial planning content tomorrow. But for those of you who have expressed an interest, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my process and, and th- through creating this show and some of the mistakes that I've made and some of the ways that I've learned to make things better. Also, specifically the equipment that I I use. I'll comment, uh, make a couple of brief comments on uh, uh, what recommendations I would make because I wouldn't do the same thing I have done again if I were, were to do it again. Uh, and then also, this will be important as I'm actually still recovering from some of the mistakes that I've made. Uh, and you'll hear uh, very soon here a couple, some of you may lose the feed. So, uh, right up here as a front, a quick announcement I'm still going to be changing one of the things with the feed. Uh, my email newsletter system, many of you have noticed, has not been working for quite a while. And the reason for that has to do with the feed issues that I've had, podcasting specific term. Uh, don't worry, this isn't going to be a very technical show. Uh, but uh, some of you may see that the show might stop updating for you coming forward in a few days. Uh, I'll put out a special episode as the last episode into the feed, uh, and you'll see that pop up in your feed. If that's the last episode in the feed, and if you've noticed that, hey, wait a second, Joshua disappeared, unless you check Facebook and find out that I've died unexpectedly in the next few days, which I don't expect to happen, <laughs> then you should know that what happened is your feed was one of the ones that was still affected. And so what you need to do is unsubscribe from the show, search in whatever podcast directory you're using uh, for to, to download my show, search for Radical Personal Finance, find the listing again, and then just simply subscribe again. Or even better, just search the app store on your device for Radical Personal Finance and install the app. That's the best way to listen to the show, and you'll know that is correct. So a couple of questions, and I'll just give you an example because these use a couple of these as examples. One question from Matthew comes in says, Joshua, was just curious what kind of microphone you use for the show. I've been looking into acquiring one, and I wanted to reach out because I think your audio is extremely clear. Thanks for the help, Matthew. Another one comes in from Trey, and Trey says, I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while now. You've inspired me to start my own podcast and blog. Question, you ran it in one of your episodes how you dislike the way in which online affiliate marketing influenced the type of hosting service that you chose for your website. I've come across the same listings as those you mentioned, and I'm just wondering what web hosting services do you actually use now and why? I know you said your original choice was bad because once you wanted to start expanding it uh, with new content and code, it failed. just want to make sure I'm starting off with the best host possible that will grow with my site. Same question would apply for what podcast program or service you use to set yours up. If you'd share it, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, so there are other questions as well, but I thought I'd just share a little bit about how I actually create the show. And when I started the show, I literally had – it was a, I don't know, $10 recorder that I recorded the first 10 episodes on. That and the onboard microphone on my laptop, just a cheap Dell laptop and uh, a cheap recorder. The recorder came with a copy of Dragon Naturally Speaking that I bought back in the day, and it was just a cheap recorder. And – Nowadays, uh, every single one of you, if you want to start a show, you really don't need anything more than your cell phone. 
you can do it with your cell phone. It's not necessarily going to be the easiest or the best, nor do I necessarily recommend it. But every one of you has an audio recorder in your phone. You have a voice memo function. And with a little bit of planning, you can create an excellent sounding recording with nothing more than that microphone, uh, which is pretty cool when you start to think about it. Uh, it's a pretty cool world we live in that you can do that. There's an app that you can use on your device. I think it's still only for uh, iOS devices, Apple devices, but there's an app called Boss Jock, which is the best app to use if you're going to do something like that. And you can just simply use your onboard microphone. You can use your uh, headphones. You can plug an external microphone into the iPhone and do that. And I'll tell you about that in a moment, how I, how I do that. Uh, and... Uh, or you can invest in a whole setup like I do or like I have. So I started the show without any equipment. I just simply said, well, let me see if I actually can create something. The first episode, I <laughs> sat in the middle of my bed and it was about the only semi-padded place to absorb some of the acoustical sound waves uh, that I knew of. And so I sat down and uh, just started talking. And then at the end of it, I went back and listened to it and I asked myself the question. I said, would I listen to that? Would I be interested in that topic? And I decided that, you know, I, I mean, it wasn't great, but I would listen to it. I would be interested in it. And that was my litmus test for whether or not I should record a show. And I did the same thing again. And I, I don't even remember what the second show was, but I did another, I did the same thing again. And then I went back and listened to it. And I said, would I listen to that? And I said, well, I probably would. And I decided to go ahead and publish them. And there's absolutely nothing more than that. That was all I did. And, but I didn't stay there. My point with starting there is the first piece of advice that I would give you if you were interested in really anything is I don't believe even still to this day, although this is changing and I'll qualify this in a moment, I don't believe that focusing on the quality of production is as nearly as, is nearly as important as focusing on the quality of content. Now, that has changed dramatically in the last few years. And today, it is so easy to have a high production value that, in my opinion, there's no reason not to do both. So focus on doing both. But if you have to make a mistake in one direction or another, focus on the quality of the content. And if you're going to go through the hard work of creating something, a podcast or a blog, Make sure it's something that you really want to spend the time doing that you think is important because it will not be easy. It will be fun at the beginning and then it will not be fun for a while. And don't expect quick results. It's not going to happen. And if it does, you'll agree with me and say, well, it's not going to happen. Don't expect quick results. So if you still want to do it, then go ahead and do it. But start by focusing on the quality of content. That quality of content is probably going to be dictated based upon how much you know about the subject that you're podcasting about. I heard a speaking coach years ago say, don't ever talk about something unless you know 10 times more than you're ever going to cover in the topic of the show. And I think that's pretty good advice. Make sure that if you're going to make your take your time to sit down and work at stuff make sure that you know a lot more about your subject than you're even going to get into and talk about even my own experience with personal finance i wanted to start a personal finance blog and i tried several times i never formally went through the work of of starting a fancy site but many times i would say i want to write about finance i want to write about finance i want to write about finance and i tried and i started and it just was like pulling teeth because i wasn't ready even though i'd spent years perhaps studying personal finance from the personal finance approach i really wasn't ready and it didn't flow at this point though and this is not meant to sound arrogant i hope it doesn't but at this point though i think i probably talk about on the show i don't know 3 or 4% of it's uh, not even 10% of the knowledge that I have in different areas. But that's come after thousands of hours of, of study, for me at least, and that I find really helpful. When I sat down and thought about what would make my show different, and if you'll remember my story, after those first – for the first 10 episodes, I didn't have a plan. I decided, uh, let me just try this. I, I wasn't sure that I was committed. But then after I had to pull the show down and kind of think it through, I thought through what was my plan? What was going to be different 
about my show? What could I compete on? And I think in any business, this is important to start with figuring out what is your unique selling proposition, if you want to use the MBA speak, USP. What's your unique selling proposition? What makes your content different? I don't have necessarily a very compelling story, so I couldn't compete based upon that. There's all kinds of personal finance people that do, and I respect them and admire them for that. But that wasn't me. You know, I didn't – I wasn't – I'm almost 30. I'm not financially independent yet. I'm still working my way through. So I couldn't point to my great story. I'm not a millionaire yet. So I can't point and say, well, look, I'm a millionaire, so you should listen to me. And I don't like making stuff up. So even you know, a lot of people do that, in this, and especially in this world. I'm going to make something up. So I decided, well, that doesn't really, that's not really my uh, ability. But what I decided I did have, which most people didn't have, don't have, is I had a depth of knowledge in the technical, formal financial planning space that very few people have. And I had intended to do that. I was just building my own career in as a financial advisor and trying to you know, invest in my income. That's why I spent so many hours studying all that stuff. And I had a breadth of knowledge because of my weird interests. And I said, well, what can I do then? I noticed a distinct lack of depth of content from a technical uh, perspective and a distinct lack of variety. And so I decided, well, I've spent all this time studying. What I can do, I may not be have the best production value. I may have my share of ums and ahs, and uh, I may have many things that aren't going for me. But what I can do is I can focus on creating a lot of content and content that goes deep. And since that's what I like, I knew that over time, the people that would be similar to me would find that. And that was how I chose to compete. And so far, it's, it's worked pretty well. Now, I still obviously consider it from time to time, but it's worked pretty well. I was willing to do it because I believed that I could create a business directly off of the show. And everybody told me I couldn't, and I decided that, well, I might as well try. Now, I don't think you need to do that just a podcast. Having a podcast as a part-time hobby can open up an incredible world to you. And it can connect you with amazing people. Even though your show may never be big or never be you know, top 10 in any category. It doesn't matter. It still can be useful. At this point in the history of Radical Personal Finance, the show has somewhere, my guess, about four to 5,000 listeners. Most of the episodes are pretty consistently uh, downloaded about 5,000 times. Uh, some of them more, a few of them less, but usually pretty consistently about 5,000 times. That's pretty overwhelming to me when I actually sit and think about that. So I try not to think about that. I think about a few individual people that I've corresponded with a lot. I think about some of the people that were around since the very beginning. And I just try to think of a few individual friends. And the cool thing is, is some of those few individual friends have been with the show from the very beginning. And I don't think you need an audience of 5,000 people or 50,000 people to have an incredibly effective, successful show. And I think as competition gets stiffer and stiffer, I think the tremendous benefit that we have in the, this independent media space is the ability to focus on very small groups of people and help those small groups of people intensely. When I came back and decided to start the show, I knew that I was going to be creating a lot of content, and I knew that I didn't have time to mess around with the audio stuff. I'm not a techno nerd. I don't like it. And so I said, so what can I do? And what I learned was primarily I watched a video. There is a podcast consultant goes by the name of Cliff Ravenscraft. He has a show called Podcast Answer Man. And I found a video when I was researching who were the people that would teach people how to podcast. He's one of the big ones. There are others as well. Uh, but when I was researching how to podcast, he has a video where he talked about his podcast workflow. And it showed him sitting down and starting his show, playing all the sound effects, recording into it, and then just simply being done, essentially, and producing a finished audio file that didn't need anything further after that point in time. And that made me realize that I needed to invest a little bit in equipment so that I could produce the show in one take. 
So I bought a microphone, uh, the microphone that I'm currently using right now, which is a Heil PR40. That was uh, Cliff Ravenscraft's recommendation. I wouldn't buy the same microphone again, but it does it for a perfectly good job. I bought an audio mixer, and that audio mixer makes all the difference in the world because it allows me to bring in the sound effects. I have a soundboard here, and so if I have sound effects loaded up on my computer or loaded up on, you know, I have a phone here. So if I want to play Thanks this, for listening to today's show, I can play. I can play the. You know, I have all that stuff right there where I can play it live. Uh, real time while I'm recording the show. I can fade it in and out just like they do at a radio station normally. Uh, that's also connected to the computer so that I can record the Skype calls and all of those things, and I, and I have an external audio recorder. So I invested in that equipment so that I would be able to create the show in one shot. And that's primarily what I do. I sit down in front of the microphone, and I try to have my notes laid out. I have the audio I, – I queue up the audio, and I, I – have it ready to go. I do the little intros and I just record the whole thing in one shot. The audio goes out from the soundboard into an external digital recorder. And this external digital recorder that I use is a Roland R05. Uh, I wouldn't buy that again either, uh, but I, it works fine. And uh, I put the audio directly into that. And so I can record the whole thing in one take. Then when I'm done with that, I take a little SD card out of the audio recorder and put it into the computer. The audio recorder is nice. You don't need all that equipment. You can record directly into a free piece of software on your on your computer called Audacity. It's the edit, the editing software that I use. But the audio recorder is nice because it makes it so that I don't have to worry about the computer crashing. And it's an, a, a useful backup. It's just a piece of hardware. It works every time. It doesn't have software glitches like the computer does. And so that was really useful to me. So I invested in that equipment so that I would be able to create the show quickly with a minimum amount of editing. Even going back to the USB, I've thought a lot about the lack of editing that my show has. And I regret some of the shows that I have published. Some of the shows have been too long. Some of the shows have rambled. Some of the shows have not been perfectly done. Uh, some of the shows I wish I'd edited. Sometimes I wish I'd go back and edit the guests out. But the problem is, if I were to do that, I would be going away from my plan for a my, what is my unique selling proposition. As a listener, although this is changing, as a listener, for me, as a podcast consumer or a media consumer, if the depth of content is strong enough I can put up with some things that I don't love. If it's a subject I'm interested in and the depth of content is appropriate, even the same way that if I bring in personal opinions, things like that, I listen to a lot of people that I disagree with. And what I look for is not to agree with people, but I look for them to defend their case or to make arguments that make me think. And so that's been my approach to the show. So even though I often will get comments or people comment, man, I wish Joshua would edit his, his audio or shorten the show down. The problem is you have to focus on what you decided to do and what you decided you could do and then check to see whether it's working or not. It doesn't eliminate the ability to say I should do something more. I should adjust something. For example, if I had the ability, uh, the financial ability, and I decided it were a good investment, I've thought about hiring an editor for the show, you know, someone to go through and edit it, pull out some of the content that maybe is a little bit extraneous, pull out some of the rambling that I may have gotten into, or maybe pull out a rabbit trail that I allowed myself to go down. The problem is that requires capital. And if I do that, if I do it, it takes time away from my ability to produce, and it requires capital, and I just haven't decided it's a good use of the dollar. So if you're going to start a show, you have to know what you're trying to do and how you're trying to compete. If you want to complete with, compete with Marketplace Morning Report, you need to go and produce a tightly edited six-minute update on the markets and financial news and get it on NPR. And and trust me, Marketplace has a much broader listening audience than my show does. But I don't listen to Marketplace. It's boring to me. So a lot of people do. I don't. So I'm trying to create something, and I had to, I've had to stay focused on what I believe is my unique selling proposition. And I'd encourage you to do the same thing. If you have a vision for something that you'd like to create – 
you have a vision for something that you think should exist that doesn't, then go for it. My vision was to create the depth of content and the breadth of content that I always wished existed. And I wanted that content to cross the divide between the low-level tactical, put money in your 401k to get an employer match, and the high-level metaphysical, change your mental thermostat about money, and connect those two. And I never saw anybody doing it. So that was my decision. I'm going to connect those two. The reason that I'm emphasizing this is if you're thinking about getting involved in independent media, I think you should. But if you are thinking about that, then you need to understand what you're doing and why. Because if you go out and you start to look and say, well, who's doing this and is it working? And you start to try to say, I want to copy something. You may or may not know why what they're doing is working. There are a lot of shows that are extremely popular that are very tightly edited. It's just the best example. The biggest podcasts that have hit the podcasting space are – what are they? What's that show about um, the guy starting the business – startup? Uh, the guy who starts the – does the show about his starting up his podcast. Uh, it's an incredibly produced show. Uh, it's in the style of This American Life, which is a – you know they have a great show. Uh, it's in the style of uh, of that type of thing. It's an incredibly produced show. But if you just try to copy the production value, you might miss why what they do actually works. Some of it is production value. A lot of it is storytelling ability. It's a hugely popular show. I don't listen to it because I'm bored by – I mean I listen to a few episodes of Startup, but I'm just thinking about things like This American Life or, or whatnot. I'm often bored by it because it's not applicable to my life. It's an interesting, entertaining story, and I think it's awesome the work that they do, but it doesn't help me achieve my goals. And for me as an individual, I spend all of my time looking for content that's going to help me achieve my goals. If I want to lose weight and get stronger, which I do, then hearing a story as beautifully produced and developed and told as it may be about sharks in the Indian Ocean doesn't help me. So I go and look for a podcast and sometimes I'll find the most horribly produced podcast, but if I find it to be encouraging or I find something where it's just helpful to me, I'll listen to that one because it's helping me get towards my goals. I, I guess the two best examples that I would give here, and I know I'm laboring on this point, but I believe it's the fundamental basis of anything that you should be considering if you're considering starting a show. But two examples that come to mind. I started listening to uh, – so Cliff Ravenscraft, I wanted to learn how to podcast. So I started to go and find podcasts. That was one of my goals. Okay, I need to learn how to podcast. Uh, so I went and looked for podcasts on how to podcast. I started listening through them. And what I first looked for was the basics, primarily the basics related to vision. And so I focused on that. Later, once I uh, – once I – had the technology established, I had the show up and had it running, then I started focusing and saying, I need to become really knowledgeable about the technical side of things because I need to improve my quality of my show. So I started listening to content on all this audio geek stuff, you know, compression and normalization and equalization and blah, 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 all this audio geek stuff because, okay, I need to be exposed to it. I don't want to be an audio engineer, but I need to at least have an understanding of it so that I can do a better job creating my show. Uh, so originally, back to the two examples, because I was listening to podcast information, I started listening to Cliff Ravenscraft, Cliff Ravenscraft, Ravenscraft's show called Podcast Answer Man. And then I heard him. He has another show, and this show is called Pursuing a Balanced Life. So I went over and I said, no, oh, let me listen to it, see what it's about. The show has very low production quality in terms of beautiful-sounding microphone. Generally, he records it when he's out on a walk or literally on the treadmill or elliptical trainer or something like that. He just has an audio recording. It's just him basically maintaining an audio journal. But for whatever reason, from time to time, I found some of his content to be encouraging. 
He was super overweight. He's been losing a bunch of weight. And it's like, wow, this is kind of encouraging. And I like this no expert, uh, no fancy agenda to you know sell me six-pack abs. Just a, just a dude walking on his treadmill telling about what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I have found some of the content encouraging. Now, I don't listen to it all the time. But that type of content, what I mean is there's an audience for it, even with the poor production quality, because I'm interested in the content. The other example I would give is the example of Jack Spirico's show, The Survival Podcast. I enjoyed listening to that show for years. Well, he started his show in his, in his car. He was on a, having a 50-mile commute to work, and to turn his driving time into something useful, he started recording a show. As I believe his story is, at some point I'm going to have him on. I've reached out to him to, to have him on. But his story was that he got tired of listening to talk radio and just getting angry at the radio all the time without knowing what to do about anything. So he pulled out, he got an audio recorder and he just started recording a show about uh, survivalism in uh, while he's driving to work every morning and putting that show on the air. The production quality is terrible. He was in his car driving at 70 miles an hour down the interstate, but the content was good. And when you get to an interesting niche, it's a topic that I find interesting, but I find it hard because there's so many very intelligent people who are legitimately concerned about things that are possible dangers in life. And there's so many nut jobs that you've got to sort through them. And so when you can find a show like his that was well-balanced, that was well-built, and that was both rational and real, it's attractive. He's got a huge show. So when you're starting a show, spend a lot of time thinking about what you're trying to do and why. And if you just want to do a show for fun to see if you like it, there's no problem with that. I think that's fine. But it's going to help you if you're clear on what you're trying to do and why. And it'll help you a lot if you can understand what is your unique selling proposition. What is different about you and your content than anybody else? may take you a little while to figure it out, and that's fine. But at some point, you got to know the answer to that. Spend, if you spend all your time on that and you sit down with a cell phone and record it on your cell phone and don't worry about all the rest of the stuff, you'll be well served. If you spend all your time investing in fancy gear and buying all kinds of toys and then you sit around and twiddle your thumbs because someday I'm going to record a show but you don't know <laughs> when that day is – You've got a major problem. Don't do that. Back to the microphone question. So Matthew, I use a Heil PR40. And the key for you to know is not to use necessarily the Heil PR40, but rather to use a type of microphone that's called a dynamic microphone. There are two major types of microphones as I understand. One is called a dynamic microphone. One is called a condenser microphone. Now, I'm not a techno geek and I haven't bothered to do spend too much time understanding the difference here, but here's how I and my layman vision understand the difference to be. The dynamic microphone doesn't pick up so much noise in the room and the condenser microphone picks up a lot of noise in the room. Now, the dynamic microphone is far less sensitive to far away noise. So for example, if I'm speaking to you like this and you'll notice if I start to back away from the microphone, the actual sound quality will drop off substantially when I do that. There's a massive difference. So the dynamic microphone is only good for recording sounds that are specifically directly spoken into it. And you have to be very careful and very precise. If I even turn my head just a little tiny bit, all I'm doing is swiveling my head here, you'll hear the difference in the recording quality. The condenser microphone is very useful for many things, but the thing I don't like about it is you need to have, and it may even be better quality. I don't know. You have to ask the audio nerds. But what I don't like about it is you have to have basically a sound booth, and I don't have a sound booth. The room that I record my show in is probably the worst acoustic room that exists. I have a hard table in front of me. I have a hard monitors right behind my microphone. I don't have a single thing on the walls. <laughs> the room is a tile floor without even a rug on it. It's got a ceiling that's drywall, drywalled walls with no nothing soft. There's basically nothing in here that has any kind of sound quality. But because I use a dynamic microphone and I speak right into it and I can turn the gain down a little bit because I have a voice that I'm able to project, 
then I don't pick up so much of that room noise. That would be very different if I were recording into a condenser microphone. So that's the first thing that you want to look for. There are many types of dynamic microphones. This microphone is certainly an excellent microphone. It's an extremely high-quality broadcast microphone. I think it was $350 or something like that. You don't need one. The best entry-level microphone that is a dynamic microphone that's much loved, and I have one as well, is called an Audio-Technica ATR2100. Audio-Technica ATR2100. That's basically what every podcaster tells every other podcaster to start with. I think it's 40 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. It's a great microphone. It is unique because it has an, a USB connection, so you can plug it directly into your computer. And it also has what's called an XLR connection, and that's the traditional connection that is used on sound equipment with a three-prong connector. And it's an excellent microphone. I have one that I've used. So, for example, the show that my wife and I did together, I used that microphone for her and this microphone for me. I bought the Audio-Technica ATR2100. And by the way, there's another one called an AT2005, Audio-Technica AT2005. That's the one that I have. They have the same guts inside the microphone, but they have a different uh, They have a different body. They're different colors. I don't know what else is different with them, but they have the same guts. They sound the same. Uh, but I bought that so that I could record into my phone. Because it's a USB microphone, because it's a dynamic microphone, I can plug it through the use of a USB adapter. I can plug it right into the bottom of my iPhone, and I can record a show directly into my iPhone. That's really, really useful. Uh, that is what, if I were going to start over today, knowing what I now know, I wouldn't buy this mixer that I have. What I would do in order to save money is I would just simply buy an application for iTunes called Boss Jock. It's about 10 bucks. It goes right onto your iPhone. I would buy the Audio-Technica ATR2100, and I would record directly into it. The key about that app uh, is that you are able to play the microphone and your sound effects right over one another. So the same thing that I can do, which you hear me do, let me not blast your ears out here, but when you hear me kind of bring the music down so I can talk over it and then bring it up... And then I can pull it down and talk over it, which for a long time I was having issues, which I won't even go into. <laughs> it was a lot of the early shows. I was the audio, the music was too loud over the voice. That was because of the uh, post processing application I was using, and I finally found a solution for that. But that ability, you can do that directly on just this iPhone app. So now one of my goals has been to be able to record shows on the road. And now, if I were going on the road, that's exactly what I'll do. So at some point in time, I'll be recording a podcast from I don't know Zimbabwe and I'll be sitting out in front of a mud hut <laughs> of a microphone on, in my hand and I'll be recording to my iPhone and then I'll upload it from an internet cafe and that's uh, certainly doable in today's world. I think that if I were to do this over again, if I knew that that mic existed, it what didn't exist when I bought my equipment. I don't think it did or at least I didn't find out about it. I probably would never have switched to this big fancy microphone. Because I don't find that for my style of content, I'm not relying on my deep bass voice booming at you so that you feel intensely about my show. I'm just relying on the audio being clear. And I probably would still just be using that $50 microphone and it would be doing a great job. But the key I find, look for a dynamic microphone instead of a condenser microphone. If you have a condenser microphone, go ahead and use it. What you want to do is you want to create, however, some kind of sound booth type of environment. Go on YouTube. You can find some tutorials on this. You want to create some kind of cardboard box with a bunch of padding in it. If you're using your cell phone as an example, if you were to take your, your smartphone and you were to go into the middle of your closet amidst all of your clothes, sit on the floor with your back tucked up into the, uh, into the clothes and get the clothes in front of you and basically sit in the middle of your clothes and hold your iPhone uh, about six inches in front of your face and just speak into it, you would be able to record excellent audio quality. So if you have a cheap microphone or if you have something that's just basic, you'll need to make up for it with terms of soundproofing. The advantage to this fancy microphone that I have is the fact that I just described to you, I have no soundproofing whatsoever. 
I have essentially the worst environment you could possibly create for recording. Why don't I do something about it? Well, I'm in kind of a temporary bedroom right now. I think the audio is perfectly clear. It's good enough. And if I switch to something else, maybe I will go ahead and try to make it better. But for now, I haven't. there's no easy way for me to make the room acoustically perfect and I haven't needed to spend the money or the time doing it. This is good enough. I now own the other thing I would say, and I said I wouldn't buy this microphone again. I now own two other fancy dynamic microphones called a Shure, what is that? Shure SM7. And these are some massive microphones, but they're also dynamic microphones. I bought them so that I could do in person interviews at conferences. And that's going to be a big part of my show going forward is doing a lot more interviews out and about. One of the keys. I'm able to do a lot of interviews through Skype, which works well. And what I do there is I do what's called a mix minus and go find if you're interested, go just do a you know, duck that do a duck duck go search and find some shows and there's lots of tutorials out there on that. But that's what I do. I have my computer going into a soundboard and it coming back out. So I can record things off of Skype. But the problem is that a lot of the content that's created that way is people who are used to using Skype. And that's why in the podcast space, basically the same 10 podcasters interview the same 10 guests over and over again. Well, I want to get in more interesting people. So I invested in a professional quality, studio quality, mobile podcasting interview setup. And I can take this into somebody's office, set it up in a few minutes. It's in a little travel bag, or I can take this to a conference and I can record all the audio directly while we're having a face-to-face interview. Now that I have those microphones, I haven't chosen to go ahead and sell this one that I use every day, and my only reason is because it's convenient to have that as a kit and still be able to sit here and have this one on my desk every day. But if I were going to do it over again, I would go ahead and and I wanted to spend money and get an expensive microphone, I would go ahead and get the Shure SM7. And the reason why that one's more useful for interviews is because you don't have to be so disciplined with the position of your face compared to the position of the microphone. Microphone discipline is a big deal. I've tried to study and learn and and become more professional with regard to some of my techniques. And microphone technique is a big deal. It's a good way to get better. And as I was demonstrating earlier, this tendency that if I talk like this, I'm just moving about three inches here, this tendency, you you can hear the difference dramatically in your in your headphones or in your car or wherever you're listening. I'm used to being disciplined and staying right in front of the microphone, keeping my mouth very consistently positioned. But when interviewing guests at a conference or in their office, they're not. Most people are intimidated by microphones. So they tend to back away from them. They tend to run away from them. And the Shure SM7, the key reason why I spent a lot of money to get to get it is that it's very forgiving for a guest. It has a much larger cone of sound around it where instead of me turning my head for two inches and all of a sudden the the audio drops off, with that microphone, the guest can move around within a sphere of about five to seven inches and the audio doesn't really drop off. But because it's a, micro, it's a dynamic microphone, it does a good job of excluding some of the background noise that can be so strong with a condenser microphone. So it's a really ideal setup for interviews in places without any sound uh, enhancing material at conferences, things like that. And that's something that I'm going to be doing a lot more of going forward. And it's a big part of my plan for this show. With regard to my content, I'd love to produce a lot more deeper level content with fewer people that are often aren't interviewed. You know, I'd love to talk to Bill Sharp and fly up to Chicago and I think he still lives there or wherever he lives and sit down with him for a few hours and record kind of an in-depth interview rather than the more cursory 60-minute interview that is more common. So I needed the equipment to be able to do that and to do it in a professional way. Once I can get the revenue of the show a little bit higher, to be able to justify that type of approach, I'll do that. At the moment, the revenue of the show isn't enough to where I can justify taking the time to prepare for that type of interview and or to go and actually do the expense of flying up there and making those things happen. So we'll see. That's one of the the plans. So that's enough of a discussion on microphones. Look for the Audio-Technica ATR2100. I've gone through a few different things and don't worry too much about the microphone quality at first. But 
once you're sure of what you're doing, then go ahead and invest in quality. There are listeners like me who will listen to a poorly produced show if the content is good enough. But that's changing and there are many people who won't put up with it. So you need to have a high-quality show and a high-quality audio and it's worth investing in because the choices today, it's a much more competitive environment. There are many better choices that exist today than even six months ago and it's only going to get more and more competitive. If your content is good enough, for example, go look at John T. Reed's site. It's from like 1992, but he doesn't change it and it works and he makes a lot of money off of it and his content is good. There are lots of financial bloggers who have very beautiful sites and who can't break Alexa 1 million. So if your content is good enough, you can overcome just about anything, but you do want to go ahead and do everything you can to put your best foot forward. Talk a little bit about Trey's question here with regard to some of the mistakes that I made and the hosting situation. Trey's referring to my upsetness with uh, using and going with a hosting provider called Bluehost. I don't think there's anything wrong with Bluehost, and I didn't have a very bad experience there. What I didn't understand was their poor reputation among the techies. I'm a big kind of take action guy, and so I reached to the point. I said, okay, I need to take action quickly. And so that was where I just said, well, okay, I'll go ahead and use this Bluehost. This is what this person is recommending. And what I wish they had done was simply said, if you want a cheap solution for your site, here's Bluehost. If you want a good solution for your site, here's this other provider. The provider that I switched to is a provider called WP Engine. Uh, it's a well-provided, I think WP probably has to do with WordPress, but it's with WP Engine. It's a, it's a much more robust, uh, more expensive, but much more robust shared hosting platform without getting into the technical lingo. Uh, well, to get into the technical lingo, <laughs> when you start off having a website, you usually start off the most cost-effective approach is something called shared hosting. And shared hosting, it costs almost nothing. You've got tons of people on a single server, and that's where your site is held. Uh, the problem is if you're if you all of a sudden get a lot of traffic, your site will not – it's not going to work. Now, depending on your host provider, uh, you may be helped or you may not be. And so what happens is some the mainstream hosting services, the big one is Bluehost and HostGator. They're owned by the same company and they have another couple names for their stuff, but they're the same company. But they put tons and tons of sites onto servers because most sites get not very many visits. And even my site doesn't get very many visits to the actual site because the majority of you are simply listening to the show and you never come to the site. But if you're site starts to get some traffic, it can be quickly shut down. And what they will do is because each site affects the other sites on the server, if all of a sudden your show or your site hits the front page of Yahoo Finance, they'll shut your site down so that not all the other sites on the server will get shut down. That's a real problem. So it was fine for a while, but I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. So WP Engine has a much more robust system, much better technology behind it. It's more expensive. Uh, you, I went from four bucks a month to I'm um, hosting multiple sites now and uh, splitting uh, uh, splitting the fees. It comes out to a hundred dollars a month if you're going to have multiple sites. Uh, mine, I split that uh, plan with. Uh, a friend and it's 50 bucks a month out of my pocket to host the multiple sites that I'm hosting. So we've worked that out and it, and it works well. It can host up to 10 sites, I think on a hundred dollars a month. It's a much more robust system. That's what I've switched to at this point. I don't necessarily think that it is uh, necessary that you spend more money in the beginning. The difference between the equivalent of $5 a month with Bluehost versus 10 or $20 a month is substantial. So it's good to save the money. That's what I'd wish those people had done. I'm actually in the process of in the coming days, I'm going to be setting up some affiliate links. Uh, and I'm also going to – one of those things I'm going to do is go ahead and set up an affiliate relationship with WP Engine because they have been excellent. They're a good middle-tier solution. Now, if your site grows, at some point in time, you got to get away from shared hosting and you get into – I think they call it the virtual private server. And then if you need to grow – if you outgrow that, then you need to go basically set up your own server. And who knows? Maybe the show at some point will get to that level. 
The major problem that I faced with the show was I followed most of the podcasting tutorials that were out there. And if you're starting podcasting, you'll see them. And the challenge is that I set up my site following the podcasting tutorials. And most of the podcasting tutorials use use a way of setting up the feed. I'm trying not to be too technical here, but I'm tr- but technical enough. A way to set up the feed, which is what all of you access on your device, uh, they deliver it through your server. They set it up on WordPress and they deliver it through your server. And so what happens is that you've got loads and loads of people and with the size of my files, with the frequency of my shows, and with the number of people downloading my shows, that puts a ton of pressure onto uh, the hosting system. And that's a real problem. Uh, now, I don't, I'm not a techie enough to go any farther than that, but I started to have some issues and this is what was causing it. So what I did was I switched my hosting solution. I think this is what was causing it. It's, it's fuzzy at this point and maybe the podcast techies could let me know. But I switched my solution, my feed from being hosted and coming through WordPress into your device to being hosted directly with the company with which I host my audio files, which is a company called Libsyn. There are various competitors to host your audio files, and there are many more today than there have been in the past. Uh, SoundCloud, there's uh, uh, Libsyn, there's Blueberry, there's Spreaker, there's uh, – you can put stuff directly on YouTube. There's a lot of different solutions out there, but Libsyn is excellent, and they have done an excellent job. They have a long history and I think they actually have a business model. I'm concerned about some of the companies that are offering hosting at this point and some of the rates that they're doing it for because even though it's cheaper, uh, I'm concerned that they're not going to be able to stay in the business. Uh, Libsyn has been awesome to work with and they have a very affordable and reasonable and value-filled uh, plan. And so, in fact, I need to I need to go set up a Libsyn affiliate host. I'm going to put a page on the show uh, in the next few days uh, with recommendations, and I would be thrilled if you guys would use some of my affiliate links to help increase the revenue of the show. Uh, But Libsyn has done a great job, and so now my feed goes directly with Libsyn. So your device, your iPhone, your Android phone, your Windows phone, your computer, iTunes, whatever – they're pulling you're pulling the feed the xml feed for the rss feed from libsyn and it's not connected to my site and that gives me an extra layer of protection whereas if my site goes down it doesn't mess up the feed so your devices will still work and for as a podcaster especially as a podcast primary podcast primary content that's a big deal so i've got libsyn taking care of my podcasting feed and the site is separate I wish I had done it that way from the beginning. That would have saved me a lot. Now, most of you have made it back to the show, but that was a real kick in the stomach to delete your entire audience when you're four months into the show, right before you launch your membership program. <laughs> that was a, and uh, like I said, I'm still I'm about to make some changes in the next few days that is going to affect some of you uh, still recovering from that because what's happened is the old feed uh, directions are scattered around the internet in different directories. Some of you will listen to me on uh, one directory. Some of you find me on a different directory. And so those feeds are kind of still sprinkled out there. And so I still haven't fully recovered from that. But Trey, if you're going to start off with blogging, I don't think there's anything wrong with Bluehost or the other cheap ones uh, because chances are your site is probably not going to be that big that fast. And if it takes you a few years of blogging and you've got $5 a month versus $25 a month, then, uh, well, it's probably going to be okay. You were probably better off saving your $20 a month. After all, I would quickly run calculations and say, look at all this money that you can save. For me, I can't take that chance because I'm putting a lot of pressure on this as a primary business. Then as a business, I have a much heavier incentive to invest in high-quality solutions. And if you want the robustness, then you can, then you can do that. I think there are some other niche providers out there. I have thought about even going ahead and uh, as I've been thinking through what are the companies and and services that I can recommend frankly and happily with affiliate 
relationships. I've seriously considered even recommending Bluehost, uh, but I need to do a little bit more because I, I I had a fine experience. It was easy. They have everything really integrated and they do a good job and and it was it's easy. But I'm going to do a little bit more research with my techie friends and just see if there's a comparably priced version, a comparably priced solution uh, that might be better. I think for most people, I've, I think actually Squarespace is a, is a better solution than even WordPress because I've had to learn a lot about WordPress, but uh, it's tough. And so I think some of these other solutions that are out there, uh, Squarespace, Wix, uh, some of these other ones where uh, are a better solution where they're all in one. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan now of Squarespace. I didn't understand it enough in the past, but now I understand it enough to be a big fan. So it's not the indus- it's not kind of the biggest one of WordPress, but uh, well, I'll go into that later. I'm going to see if uh, I'm going to reach out to them and see if actually they want to advertise because I think when I get back to the fact that every single one of you and me, we all need a website for ourselves. And I think that the Squarespace value proposition is in many ways stronger than the normal Bluehost WordPress solution, and you don't have to be quite such the technical expert. We'll cover that another day. Last couple of lessons here is one of the biggest things that I would encourage if you're thinking about starting a show is to recognize that podcasting is not blogging. This one was tough for me to learn. It still still affects me. I spent so much time reading blogs, and I thought, well, I'll just take this to an audio format. But the type of content that is conveyed well and easily in blogs is not necessarily conveyed well and easily in podcasting. You can make a blog post that's interesting and that goes viral <laughs> off of something that is relatively small and insignificant but if i got in here and said i'm going to record this as an audio podcast it usually doesn't work for what it's very different so blogging has its place but blogging is not podcasting so consider approaching podcasting as its own unique art form that's the reason why i have not really written any blog posts on the site because I'm focusing on trying to learn how to more effectively create podcasts. Podcasts are unique. They're also not radio. That's the other challenge. They're kind of they're, they're also not speeches. They're not videos. They're pot, it's it's a different animal. Radio is broken up by in general, broken up by commercial interruptions usually about 15 minutes is the longest segment some of their segments are four minutes and because of those commercial interruptions if you actually listen to a radio show with all of the interviews cut out or the commercials cut out you'll have a very different listening experience than a podcast so it's not that it's bad or good or anything i just encourage you don't make the mistake i did which is try to say okay here's an idea that's perfect for a blog that's short and focused and then try to turn it into a podcast. It's a different format. Another thing that I will just mention as far as a lesson is interviews. Interviews are tough. This has been the toughest thing that I struggled with, have struggled with, and still I'm grappling with is how to do an excellent interview. And the mistake that I made many times was primarily interviewing authors and I've gone back and forth trying to figure out what's the best way to interview an author. My normal tendency is to research everything that I can about somebody, read everything they've written, and then try to prepare a specific outline of what I want to take them through. This has backfired a number of times. There were some authors that I've interviewed on the show that I really was excited to talk to. And yet what I realized was I was trying to take them through their book. And they didn't want to go through a book because, after all, they wrote a book. And if you want the book, go read the book. They just wanted to talk. And they're kind of wandering here and wandering there in a story. And I couldn't get them back to say, look, talk about your book. <laughs> Here's the outline. Look, I prepared these 10 points. And how do you lead an author without just delivering it? And so I learned that that excessive research excessive reading thing at least right before the interview isn't necessarily a good plan 
So I switched and I started trying to just follow my curiosity and trying actually not to prepare too much in advance, but to have a general idea of who somebody is and then follow my curiosity a little bit. And that's also very intimidating, very challenging, because then you arrive with a few ideas of ways that you're going to go down, uh, paths of, of questioning that you can pursue, but you're not quite sure. And sometimes you're sitting there saying, okay, what do I ask next? So if you are going to create interviews and do an interview show, I think that's a good idea. In some ways, the interviews are easy because you just ask questions. It's much more difficult to come up with an outline for a 60-minute show that has a lot of depth and a lot of breadth and moves with an appropriate pacing. It's more difficult sometimes to do that than it is to do an interview. But interviews in and of themselves are tough. At the moment, I tend to be more in favor of the follow-my-curiosity approach. It seems to be producing better results. It's not 100% follow my curiosity. I've been having an idea of where I think we need to go because after all, it's my responsibility as a podcast host to bring my audience something that's useful. But the approach of following my gut has been, uh, I think, producing more interesting content and it has helped me to more effectively rein in somebody when they go off on a tangent or to just redirect the conversation a little bit. So I've been learning. And I hope that many of you are able to hear that growth. Which brings me to my final point. And with this, I'm done for today. I have intentionally put everything out there with my show. As far as leaving all of the old episodes and leaving the ones that <laughs> went crazy and did crazy tangents and crazy long and all of that. Because... It's my goal to both teach the content and the ideas and the knowledge that I have that's specific, but also to model my implementation of those things in a free and candid way. If you've ever thought about creating independent media, please do. And don't worry about being perfect, but start. Because you're the one who will gain the most from it. I have gained the most from this show. And I will continue to gain the most from this show. And if you start creating media of some kind, any kind, you'll gain the most. We live in one of the most incredible times in human history, especially from the perspective of free and open communication. We can break down some of the walls that have existed for so long. It's not easy to do, but we can do it. And I would encourage you to try. As long as you're not worried too much about the number of people listening, then you can have a successful experiment, a successful podcast, if it helps one person. As far as I'm concerned, my show has already been a roaring success because I've gotten an email from somebody saying, Joshua, my life has been impacted. Now, I've been fortunate to get many more than one, and that is the most heartwarming thing. I had some former clients of mine over for dinner last night. We were talking, and this was a, a client, a, a couple, that made tremendous changes in their life after our financial planning engagements. And this couple was incredibly important to me as a young financial planner because I was so insecure starting off as a planner. I never even would tell people what I did. But then I started working with them and they would take me to, you know, they would, <laughs> to a they would invite me to a birthday party and they would tell them, this is Joshua Sheets. Like, you've got to talk with Joshua Sheets. Like, he's, he's awesome. He's our financial advisor. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> but the cool thing was just experiencing the impact that had really encouraged me. And I was telling them that they were asking about how the show is going. I said, the best thing about the show is that I've gotten the same response that I got from you from hundreds of people. One is enough. Two is awesome. Dozens are gratifying. 
And you get that from hundreds. It's worth doing. One of the great benefits of independent media is we can model the growth factors. We can leave the mistakes out there. By the time you get to some big news anchor on TV, you never see the mistakes. By the time you listen to, I don't know, Rush Limbaugh or whoever, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of who the the counterpoint to him is on radio. I don't know. It seems like all the radio hosts are, are uh, right-wing hosts. By the time you get to Rush Limbaugh, you've you're some, got someone that's been broadcasting for decades. Decades. But the cool thing is we can leave those mistakes out there to encourage other people. And we can provide ideas and inspiration that are exactly where people need to be. And when you're forced to sit down and write your ideas out in an outline and then deliver them, you're forced to get clear on them. (laughs) When I have to do a show on what would I do if I won the lottery, i got to sit down and say, what would I do if I won the lottery? How does it get any better than that? Because I just wrote a show that was the result of my sitting down and saying, well, what would I do? And then looking at my answers and saying, well, why? Do I really believe this? Do I really believe that? And that's the cool thing about uh, independent media. You don't have to have a massive audience to have an impact. You don't have to be super popular. Now, it's awesome. I'm working hard to get there. I'm doing everything I can, but I'm doing it. And I don't want to sound too, I don't want to have the wrong tone here. It's, it's really encouraging when the numbers start to grow. And I'm thankful for every one of you that listens. But I just hate seeing people do things and then only focusing on the numbers. Do something because you think it matters. Do something because you think it should be done. Do something because nobody's doing it. And let the numbers shake themselves out. The cool thing about voluntary content is your audience will self-select themselves. No one's forcing them to listen. No one's forcing them to read. They will self-select. And a lot of people will come in. They'll dip their toes in, listen for a little bit and say, eh, not for me. And you got to be okay with that. But the ones who stick around will be an encouragement to you in the same way that so many of you have been to me. And the benefits are massive. So if you've ever thought about creating independent media of any kind, figure out what's your likely best way to compete, what you really want to do. Do you want to create video? Do you want to write? Do you want to speak and do it? Because we need millions more people doing this type of thing on millions more subjects. It's just the beginning. And if we get millions of people doing that, each person making a little change in their corner of the world, the results are really going to be amazing. Hope this has been useful to you. I know there's no real financial planning tips in it. I guess there is a little bit. I guess (laughs) this one will go in under the increasing your income section because in today's world, we all have to be our own marketers in, in many ways. And one key aspect of it is you need a website, you need a site. Uh, and you might need a podcast. And if you do, hopefully this will help you. I actually am, I meant to say this earlier, I am going to uh, create a, uh, a, a info product, teaching financial advisors how to podcast. And I'm going to do it very specifically. I'm going to create a manual as far as all the technical stuff so that I can help people uh, avoid that. But I read a real heart to teach financial advisors how to podcast because I think every single financial advisor needs a podcast. Not a podcast like mine, not a podcast to try to get out 5,000 uh, you know, listeners, although that's cool if they can do that. There's many people who have much bigger audiences than mine. That's just, I'm just sharing my experience. Uh, but uh, financial advisors need a podcast so that their clients can get to know who they are in a non-pressured situation. I'm going to create an info product teaching people how to do it. It'll probably start with a basic, um, uh, with a basic course, like a $97 ebook type of thing. Uh, it might, if there's a lot of interest and a lot of uh, traction, I might make it some, I don't know, some fancy, big, fancy video course. If you're interested in that, do one of two things. Go to 
financialadvisorpodcast.com. I gotta get, I'm going to get that up over the weekend. It's not up yet, uh, but depending on when you're listening to it, it may or may not be up. Go to financialadvisorpodcast.com. There's a quick video and uh, an email capture for put your email address in. And I'll put you on the list. And then as I get that created, depending on the feedback, I may or may not do it. I'm planning on it, but I'd love to see you know, at least a few people interested before I put all the work into creating it. Uh, if that site's not up, just email me, Joshua at RadicalPersonalFinance.com. Let me know you're interested and I'll put you on the list manual or give you the, the manual link to get yourself on the list. Financialadvisorpodcast.com. If you are interested in learning how to podcast with a specific focus on financial advisory space, I'm not trying to be the next podcast answer man, but a specific focus on the financial advisory space. Uh, and it'll be both the technical and also the big picture because I got a lot of ideas on this for financial advisors. Financialadvisorpodcast.com and email me if it's not up, Joshua at RadicalPersonalPodcast.com. I'll be with you all soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app so you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your device for Radical Personal Finance and you'll find our free app. If you have received value from the content of this show, please consider becoming a patron. Your financial support is how I pay the bills for the show and how I plan to grow our content. You can support the show with as little as a dollar a month or as much as you feel the content is worth. Details are at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. If you'd like to contact me personally, my email address is Joshua at RadicalPersonalFinance.com or connect with the show on Twitter at RadicalPF and at Facebook.com slash RadicalPersonalFinance. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. But your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. Please, develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them, because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person, and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please come by the show page and comment so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, thanks for being here.